Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Amy, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. Today's date is Friday, July 19th, and today we are reading from the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous in the chapter We Agnostics on the bottom of page 47 with a sentence that starts, besides a seeming inability to accept much on faith. Um, today's readers are Philomena, Lisa, Kim, Rick, Katie G., and Sharon. The reference number for yesterday, Thursday, July 18th, is 4815. That is 4815. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that the people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now call on Philomena to read the 12 steps, please. Good morning. My name is Philomena, a recovered compulsive overeater. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, thought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive readers and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Pass. Thank you, Philomena. I will now call on Lisa to read the Twelve Traditions, please. Good morning, everyone. This is Lisa from South Jersey. The 12 Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. 
Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop compulsively overeating. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Lisa. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. To identify as readers only. Our abstinence requirements for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book means to us. Mean to, us. to share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. Today, we resume our study in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous in the chapter We Agnostics on the bottom of page 47, starting with Besides a Seeming Inability. And I will ask for Kim to begin reading. Kim, please go ahead. Thanks, Amy. Besides a seeming inability to accept much on faith, we often found ourselves handicapped by obstinacy, sensitiveness, and unreasoning prejudice. Many of us have been so touchy that even a casual reference to spiritual things have made us bristle with antagonism. This sort of thinking had to be abandoned. Though some of us resisted, we found no great difficulty in casting aside such feelings. Faced with alcoholic destruction, we soon became as open-minded on spiritual matters as we tried to be 
on other questions. In this respect, alcohol is a great persuader. It finally beat us into a state of reasonableness. Sometimes this was a tedious process. We hope no one else will be prejudiced for as long as some of us were. And good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim G, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. And I think we could spend two meetings just picking apart this sentence by sentence. But I'm going to zone in on that first sentence where it says, we often found ourselves handicapped by obstinacy, sensitiveness, and unreasoning prejudice. You know, I love to look up words, especially the words I think I know what they mean. You know, what is handicap? Handicap means a condition that markedly restricts one's ability to function. So these are the things that will stop us from becoming recovered. These are the, these are the things that are going to restrict us from being able to function. What are they? Obstinacy. Obstinacy is stubbornness. Well, I'm not as alcoholic as you are. Where my life is more difficult, I don't have time to do all that you guys do. Or you know what? I know there's 12 steps, but I'm pretty smart. I think I could probably only do six of them. Or you know what? I'm, I'm not that smart, so I need to take my time. I know you say I need to get through these steps quickly, but I really need to just chill out a little bit. I'm just to sit in the room, eat my food, and let this all soak in. You know, and sensitiveness. Sensitiveness, definition is easily damaged, injured, or distressed by a slight change. Slight changes. You know, I couldn't handle any change. Everything had to be so rigid. Everything had to be so controlled that anyone trying to tell me anything is outside what I think is right terrified me. It handicapped me in unreasoning prejudice. Unreasoning. And reasoning has to do with not making sense, not making common sense. And prejudice, once again, prejudice comes from the Latin word, which is judice, which is to judge, and pre is beforehand. So we looked so much here, especially in Bill's story about his prejudices against God. But I had to look after a decade in LA, what were my prejudices about the 12-step program? What were my prejudices about LA? You know, my prejudice is where I thought food and weight was my problem. My prejudice is where I thought going to meetings was enough. My prejudice is where the, this, was, this book was about alcoholics. And as a compulsive overeater, I didn't have to do all this stuff. So these type of thinking is what was stopping me. It was what was handicapping me. It was what was restricting me from being able to move forward. And that chapter, it's in this sentence, this sort of thinking had to be abandoned. Abandoned. Not, and once again, I'll be reminded, it's our thinking. It's our thinking that is going to stop us. It is our thinking that is going to free us. And what does abandon mean? It means to give up completely a course of action, a practice, or a way of thinking. So if we are not going to be handicapped against these ideas that they're trying to teach us, if we're going to learn to be open-minded, we're going to have to give up this sort of thinking. It's going to have, have to, must be abandoned. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Would anyone else like to share on what we read? This is Katie from Boston. Yes, Katie, go ahead, please. 
Good morning, everyone. This is Katie G. from Boston, Mass. I am a recovered compulsive overeater, and uh, I agree that this paragraph is pretty, pretty stock full. I think what I want to focus in on is faced with alcoholic destruction, we have soon become as open-minded on spiritual matters as we have tried to be on other questions. In this respect, alcohol was a great persuader. It beat us into a state of reasonableness. And um, for me, what this meant is when I got to this part of the work with my sponsor, I was still reading, um, focusing on step two and eventually step three. And... Um, I came into the work um, in a thin body. I came into the work having had a few years, thank you God, back-to-back abstinence, look at me. I don't eat no matter what, no matter what I don't eat. I go to 10 meetings a week, I make a 1,000 phone calls a day, I do reading, I do writing, I do everything except for the 12 steps. And in this respect, food and actually my food addiction became a great persuader. It beat me into a state of reasonableness which reasonableness is a logical decision, which to me was seeing that my managing on my self-will, getting abstinent and then looking around and saying, okay, where's my stuff? You know, like, where's my husband? Where's my job? Where's my, you know, huge house? Like, I'm thin now, right? Like, I need to get my stuff. And I was managing on my own life. And surprise, surprise, my food addiction, the disease of my mind, um, although the disease of the body, the manifestation of the phenomenon of craving was down, the food destruction um, had me in a relationship with a man who was still by all intents and purposes married, fired from a job four different times. And I know that I'm repeating myself, but I think it is so important for me to remember where I was in abstinence in a thin body, not cured, right? Like I know I'm never cured, but not recovered. You know, and so what I saw at this point was, you know, really talking with my sponsor about how the the destruction of my food addiction, of operating my life on Katie's principles and not on God's principles, beat me into this place where I saw and I said to her, I don't know what else to do. And that was the mustard seed that I needed to say, you know what, guys, like, I don't know. I really don't know. I, I, um, the way I've been living my life, these prejudices, these old ideas, they're not working. And that God knows what he's doing. And if I follow the directions, my sponsor said to me, follow the directions and have blind faith. It will lead me to a spiritual awakening, but I've got to do the work. And so that's what this part of the book was about. It was about, again, smashing home to me. I am a food addict. I am a compulsive overeater. I am powerless over food, and I am equally powerless over this destructive mind that has me going after selfish selfish things no matter what, no matter who you are, and puts me first, and, and it gets me absolutely nowhere. And I am grateful. I am grateful this reminder and that today that I operate on spiritual principles and not on myself. And with that, I pass. Amy, we are unable to hear you. Are you um, unmuted or phone difficulty? Leah, would you like to step in, please? Sure. 
Would anyone else like to comment on what was read? This is Sally. Can you hear me? Sally, go ahead. Thank you, Leah. Good morning. A vision for you, fellow travelers. This is Sally from South Jersey, a recovered compulsive overeater. I just want to jump in on the on the closer to the end of this paragraph. Faced with alcoholic destruction, we soon became as open-minded on spiritual matters as we had tried to be on other questions. In this respect, alcohol was a great persuader. It finally beat us. That is, for me, the key words. It had beaten me many, many times. I, it was, for me, like getting into a boxing ring and being beaten up. Um, the experience of waking up the morning after, looking back over the day before and thinking about what did I do, remembering what I did, what I ate, waking up that morning and having a very sore stomach, feeling like I was bruised, literally feeling like I was beaten up in the stomach area, just feeling very bruised, and then going through the ritual of deciding, what will I do today? Will I try to be abstinent? Will I not be abstinent? Will, which diet will I pick? Food was definitely was beating me up to a pulp. It finally beat us into a state of reasonableness. Be reasonable, I would think to myself. Sometimes this was a tedious process. We hope no one else will be prejudiced for as long as some of us were. I hope that others will not be wandering in the desert for as long as I was. And just um, finally, I would just say faced with alcoholic destruction. The book talks about this over and over. We really do come to a conclusion that we just have those two choices. We are going to either face an alcoholic or, an, or a compulsive overeating destruction or we're going to have an open mind as to what is coming on spiritual matters. With that, I pass. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you yeah, I'm back on. I'm back on the reservation. Sorry, uh, technical difficulties. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? Yes, this is Sarah. This is Anne-Marie. Go ahead, Sarah, and then Anne-Marie, please. Good morning, everybody. I'm Sarah B. I'm a recovered compulsive eater. And from Washington, D.C., and reading this paragraph just put such a smile on my face. I particularly uh, like the line, faced with alcoholic destruction, we soon became as open-minded on spiritual matters as we had tried to be on other questions. And what makes me smile about this and what fills me with so much hope and warmth is the vision of the founders of AA in terms of you're not having to have things figured out. You don't have to walk in knowing how you feel about God, knowing how you define a higher power of your understanding, knowing exactly how you feel about the faith of your childhood or any other spiritual question. None of that has to be figured out. You know, the the point of the program is to, is to figure that out. This is a spiritual journey, and the whole book is about uh, evolving your relationship with God and going on a spiritual journey. And it, I always think about this in terms of that now um, – you know, tolerance and um, open-mindedness is so much a part of our of our culture, which is overall a good thing. But I'll tell you, the early AAers really had this down. They made this program so inclusive. They wanted it to be open to everybody. They didn't want to exclude anybody. And I'm just so grateful for that. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Go ahead, Anne-Marie. Hi. Hi, this is Anne-Marie, Recovered Compulsive Eater. Um, thanks for leading the meeting. Um, page, yeah, 
On page 48, Gary Dusty says, this sort of thinking had to be abandoned. Once again, we have clear-cut instructions. Precise instructions, as it talks about in one of the, I think one of the forwards or the, uh, the preface. Um, oops. Um, this, you know, and I was told that Bill repeats himself over in this big book. It, it, the whole thing is to get in touch with our higher power, to get in touch with God. And he, on page 27, um, and there is a solution. Um, we had already read this, but I want to just repeat it again, because once again, he's repeating himself in a different way. Um, ideas, emotions, and attitudes were which were which were once the guiding forces of the lives of these men are subtly cast to one side and completely new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate us. You know, we had to abandon our old way of thinking, you know, um, you know, and it talks about it and I think in how it works. Um, you know, we tried our old ways, but the results were nil. Um, we can't do this on our own. We, you know, I, I couldn't do it on our, on my own. I tried. I tried all different ways. Um, but that one sentence, I mean, there is, you know, Kim had said there's so much. We could spend, you know, a couple of meetings on this one sen- uh, one paragraph, um, you know, and the next sentence. Though some of us resisted, we found no great difficulty in casting aside such feelings. This is possible. You know, there is a solution. This does work. Um, you know, I, I know I'm proof of it, um, and I had my own way of thinking. I was uh, dead set in knowing, thinking, thinking that I knew what to do and had the answers, and I could do it on my own. Um, but, yeah, I was obstinate, <laughs> stubborn is what I have written in my book, um, handicapped by obstinacy. I was totally stubborn thinking that I had the answer, um, but... I'm so grateful that I got to the point where I got desperate enough and was ready to get rid of my way of thinking and um, abandon my way of thinking. Thank you. Thank you, Emery. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? This is Leah. Go ahead, Leah. Hey, Amy. Hey, everybody. This is Leah, recovered compulsive overeater. I've always loved these statements here. Faced with alcoholic destruction, we soon became as open-minded on spiritual matters as we had tried to be on other questions. In this respect, alcohol was a great persuader. It finally beat us into a state of reasonableness. I mean, (laughs) you know, the disease had done its job. I mean, uh, I just had gotten beaten to a pulp. You know, I knew that, uh, you know, this disease had started to wrap its talons around my neck. I knew that from a young age, but I had no idea what I was up against. I did not understand the depths to which this disease would take me. I came here destroyed. I had nowhere else to go. I felt like I couldn't live and I couldn't die. Um, you know, in this respect, alcohol was a great persuader. What does persuader mean? Persuader means to convince. That's why earlier in the text, in Chapter 3, you know, it says, we're not going to pronounce anyone here an alcoholic. You know, step into the nearest bar room. Try some controlled drinking. Try to drink and stop abruptly. Try it more than once. It's worth the experiment. 
Um, you know, why a book that was penned after thousands of hours of discussion, are they inviting people to go drink? <laughs> you would think they would say, you know, don't do that. That's the last thing you should do. They don't, they don't say that. They actually invite us to go try it out because they know. Because they know, in this respect, alcohol was a great persuader. It finally beat us into a state of reasonableness. Sometimes this was a tedious process. What does tedious mean? Tedious mean, means wearisome. This disease wore me out. All of the resistance had been beaten out of me. And when all of the resistance had been beaten out, and, and, and my last breath, you know, I realized in the depths of my soul that I couldn't afford the luxury of prejudice and I couldn't afford the luxury of my old ideas of self-sufficiency and dependence on people and circumstances to supply me with a feeling of security and well-being and happiness. When that was beat out of me, when, when that had failed, when everything I tried failed, um, God came in through the wound. God came in through the wound, you know, and it's, and it's not like uh, I wasn't sitting in OA. I had been sitting away in OA from 82 to 87, sitting in OA. But you know what? Spirituality without God is like a river without water. <laughs> I, had a, I had a thirst that could not be quenched. I needed to go deeper into this process. I needed to actually embark on this spiritual journey. You know, it was uh, the food, you know, uh, I could not find ease and solace. Binging my brains out and putting my fists down cellophane bags and bakery boxes was the only way I knew how to blot out the terror of this scary world. And to take binge foods away and to give me nothing in its stead was cruel because I stood naked. You know, I, I stood naked and I was bent down by fears and worries and discouragements and unresolved conflicts and, and torn up by resentments and totally frustrated, and I had nowhere else to go. I had nowhere else to go. You know, so this disease humbled me, and, and you know, man reaches highest uh, when he's at his lowest, and I was at my lowest. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thanks, Leah. Would anyone else like to share on what was read, please? This is Paula. Go ahead, Paula. Thank you, Amy, and thank you again for your service and the beautiful shares that we get to hear this morning. On this line, this sort of thinking had to be abandoned. There it is, thinking again in the mind. And then it described all the things, our sensitivity. Oh, no, by the way, I could walk along with all of them. Oh, I was so sensitive. You know, my unreasoning prejudice, I had no reason for it. I didn't even have a reason for it. And then it goes on. Many of us have been so touchy. Oh, yeah, so sensitive. Had to be abandoned. This is the thing that I kept looking at, abandoned. To give up wholly, yield completely, surrender without restraint, to forsake or desert to banish. Have you ever looked at an abandoned car and there it sits and sits, can't move, can't do much of anything. The elements do their job and it rusts out. 
because it doesn't work anymore. It doesn't work anymore. It wasn't working. And you see, I wasn't living. I wasn't living the life that my creator, as it says in this book, intended for me. And that is where that word came in. Sort of thinking had to be abandoned. I could not move and I could not go on. And I will leave right there. Thank you very much for allowing me to share with that. I do pass, Amy. Thank you, Paula. Would anyone else like to share on what was read before we move on? I heard a Sharon. Who was before that? Christine. I think Houdini. I mean, Christine. Okay, Christy, thank you. All right, we'll, we'll go with Eileen, Christy, and then Sharon. Is it Sharon? Go ahead, okay. Eileen. Okay, thanks. This is a wonderful paragraph. Thanks for all the great sharing. Um, this is Eileen, a food addict from Bedford, Mass. Um, yeah, the talk of spiritual things made us bristle with antagonism. When I first came in, I had no touch or relationship with a higher power at all. And uh, the only uh, higher power I knew was sugar and flour. That was it. It beckoned me, and I kept picking it up and picking it up. And like Leah said, you know, they, they welcome you to go out and use, to go out and try it again, but it doesn't work. Um, it, it finally got beat into me. Uh, the, the state of reasonableness, it says here, that finally I had to surrender. Surrender, that's all it would take. So, um, and and Someone said also that I was continuing to blot out the scariness of life, you know, the pressure of school and work and and relationships, and it was just too overwhelming for me, and I'm just like, okay, back up. I can't take it anymore, and I would retreat into my, my room with a bag or a box, and that continued for very long a uh, long time, until I got willing, willing to just walk through the discomfort of the cravings and started to ask others, the fellowship, for help and started to ask God for help because I never thought that he was there for me. So finally, it, it, it happened and uh, the, there's no joy uh, greater than living this life absently and free. I'm not totally uh, removed from fear, but I still ask God, please remove my fear today. Please help me walk through it. Anyway, without a pass. Thank you. Thank you. Go ahead, Christy. Thanks, Amy. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you fine. Great. Thanks so much, Amy. Uh, good morning, and good morning, uh, Christy. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and 
Oh, I too love this paragraph. It is just so rich. It's so rich. You know, like, uh, you know, like, like this whole big book is rich. Um, and I just love the first and the last sentence, you know, besides the seeming inability to accept much on faith, we often found ourselves handicapped by obstinacy, sensitiveness, and unreasoning prejudice. You know, abstinent, no, obstinate, yes. Um, and that was the way I lived for years. You know, I sat in the rooms of OA for a solid five years. And, um, you know, what my disease did is created a lot of distractions for me. And by creating distractions for me, it allowed me the opportunity to just keep eating. And that's what it looked like for me. You know, trying to explain what it's like to have an addiction to people who don't have an addiction is, I, I mean, it's, you know, it just, none of it makes any sense. But it's like my disease had a mind of its own. And I was in constant battle with this other mind, this diseased mind, this, you know, this, this addiction in constant battle, in constant battle. And, you know, time and time again, you know, my disease would tell me, you know, they, they just want you to believe in God. It's a setup. You know, it's a setup here. They just want you to believe in God, and you know you don't believe in God. Remember, remember those decisions you made when you were 10? Remember those decisions you made when you were 10? Well, they still hold today. Um, you know, decades later, all the decisions I'd made in my life when I was 10, um, you know, I was still clinging to. And the entire time I was clinging to those old ideas, um, I just kept eating. You know, I was just going to, you know, continue spinning around in those same thoughts over and over again and, you know, huddle around a box of donuts. And that's exactly what I did. Instead of just saying, you know, just don't listen to that diseased mind, Christy. Just, you know, why don't you just open up your brain to new ideas? And I was not going to open up my brain to new ideas until I said to myself, I don't want to eat donuts anymore. I, I don't want to. I don't care what I have to do. I'm done. I'm done. And it was the scariest thing I ever said and the best thing I ever said in my entire life. The minute I got to that point and I said, I'm done. I am done. And yes, I know I'm going to have to stop eating compulsively. But you know what? I have a desire to stop eating compulsively. The minute I said that, my entire life changed. Did it mean that immediately, you know, God swept in and, you know, completely changed the way my life looked? Um, it didn't look like that. I was scared out of my mind. Uh, because I had no idea what was going to happen. But I knew what was going to happen if I kept eating. That much I knew. I knew what was behind me. I did not know what was ahead of me. And I was willing to just go on blind faith. I was willing to go on blind faith. So my hope for you is the same one that it says at the last, you know, this last part of the sentence. We hope no one will be prejudiced for as long as some of us were. Um, you know, what people were trying to sell me on in the rooms of 
OA was recovery, not their idea of God, not their idea of God, but the idea that I could have a brand new life and the compulsion to eat would be removed. And that, in fact, is what happened. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Christy. Uh, who was that third person? Was it Sharon? This is Sharon. Can you hear me? Yes, go ahead, Sharon. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Wow, thank you to all of you and what you shared. Um, I really needed to <clears throat> hear all of these things this morning, and I'm so grateful to continue to be listening to this uh, meeting one day at a time each morning. Um, I am in the process of going through my fourth and fifth step, and I wasn't feeling well yesterday, and so I had to cancel the appointment that I had with my sponsor to do our fourth and fifth step work. And I suddenly realize when I'm listening to all this that um, fear has sort of crept back in uh, on me and I needed to hear all these things and especially um, what I just heard about, I know where the disease will take me and I have to trust if I keep moving forward that it will be uh, completely different for me. So I'm so grateful because I too have struggled with the obstinacy, the handicaps of sensitiveness, prejudice, and when I was hearing all of these things being shared this morning, I realized again I cannot take this as a game. I have to be 100% serious about this if I want to get well. And on page 58, it was just like um, this repeats exactly what this paragraph says. Remember that we deal with alcohol, cunning, baffling, powerful. Without help, it is too much for us. But there is one who has all power. That one is God. May you find him now. Half measures availed us nothing. We stood at the turning point. We asked his protection and care with complete abandon. And that's where the steps are stated. So um, I am just so grateful to all of you and to what I needed to hear this morning and that I am teachable today. And uh, because of that, I do have that hope of recovery. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Sharon. Okay, Rick, we're going to go ahead and move on to the next reading. If you would please go ahead, that would be great. Good morning. This is Rick, Recovered Compulsible Reader. The reader may still ask why he should believe in a power greater than himself. We think there are good reasons. Let us have a look at some of them. The practical individual of today is a stickler for facts and results. Nevertheless, the 20th century readily accepts theories of all kinds, provided they are firmly grounded in fact. We have numerous theories, for example, about electricity. Everybody believes them without a murmur of a doubt. Why this ready acceptance? Simply because it is impossible to explain what we see, feel, direct, and use without a reasonable assumption as a starting point. Well, that's what step two is. It's a reasonable assumption, and that's where we are in the book. It's a reasonable assumption. Came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. It doesn't tell us what that power is. It doesn't identify it, explain it, put a name on it, put a face on it. It just tells us that we'll come to believe, and that it's, stating what the people that wrote this book did. They came to believe. 
it indicates a process whereby they they develop the belief and you know they they're talking about numerous theories well what's a theory a theory is a statement with a lot of evidence to back it up but it it hasn't yet been proven well what evidence do i have that um, a power greater than myself will restore me to sanity the evidence i have is the people that wrote this book the people I hear on this line, the people I see on the meetings, uh, at face-to-face meetings, that's the evidence I have that it worked for them. They, they can't explain it exactly to me, but I had to make a reasonable assumption, a reasonable assumption <clears throat> that a power greater than myself could, could restore me to sanity. And that's all it's asking us to do at step two. It's not asking us to, uh, to to put a name, a face, or put your finger on what that power is. It's just to be reasonable about it and take a chance. So um, step two, we're coming to a conclusion, and that conclusion is going to lead to a decision later on. So I'll pass with that. Thanks, Rick. Uh, this is Amy. I'm a compulsive overeater, recovered from Maryland. I'll jump in here. This is just so brilliant, brilliant, brilliantly written. And can you can you see the readers going? Okay, this is a chapter to the agnostics here. We know that they are still going to say even. Well, let me give myself as an example. Under the lash of compulsive overeating, I'm dying of this disease. They start talking of God, the higher power. I'm frustrated. I'm afraid. I don't want to believe. I have prejudice. And the reader may still ask why he should believe in a power greater than himself. Just like me, go, really, 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 do I really, really, really have to believe in a power greater than myself? Do I really, really have to believe in God? Even after all of this and all they've said and the chapters on alcoholism and me understanding the physical allergy and the mental obsession and the physical and mental torture that I've been going through, wait, wait, really, do I still really, really have to believe? I mean, it's like they got me here. They, they get it. They understand that even I'm going to still question it. But here are good reasons, and here are facts, and here are results. You know, there are people that had recovered that stood before me that said, we have a way and we have a solution. I saw results. I understood when they said, okay, you don't have to bite it all off at once. You just have to be willing. True humility and an open mind can lead you to faith every time. Just true humility, meaning I'm powerless, I am powerless. It's got to be greater than me. It has to be a power outside of me, and am I willing to take that step forward? Am I willing to do that? And I was willing to do that because I wasn't sure whether I was going to be, be, be willing to believe in a God, so to speak, but I was willing and I was open. And, you know, when they describe this idea of electricity, I think of another example. You know, when I get into my car and I stick the key in the ignition and I turn the key, you can be sure I have no idea what's going on underneath that hood. But in most cases, I'm pretty 99% sure that the car or the engine is going to turn over and I'm going to be able to drive where I need to go. I'm going to believe that the car is going to get me where I'm going to go. Am I not going to drive my car because I don't know why it works or I don't know how it works? Absolutely not. That car takes me places where I could never go with my own two feet walking by myself. The car allows me to travel. It allows me to go places and do things that I couldn't do otherwise. 
So I believe in how it works, but I just don't know how it works. But that's okay because I don't need to know. I need to know what it does for me, which is it gets me where I need to go. And that's what you all showed me. And that's what the 12 steps shows me. And that's what my willingness and my openness and my humility got me to, which is where I was saying to myself, okay, I don't understand how it works, but I see the results. I see how it works for you. I see that you all don't even have a perfect description of it. And you're telling me all I need is a little willingness and a little open-mindedness to try this? Okay, then. Then I will give it a try. And then it starts from there. But we have to be willing, like Leah said, to embark on the journey, to say, I can't go back anymore, to let go absolutely, and to say, what I'm thinking and how I believe has not worked. It's killing me because of this disease. Now I'm going to step forward, and I'm going to at least try. I'm going to give it a try. And with that, I'll pass. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? Monica. Go ahead, Monica. Thank you, Amy. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Diddle, diddle to um, what you were just saying. It says, here we are in the 20th century, and we readily accept theories of all kinds, provided they are firmly grounded in fact. We have numerous theories, for example, about electricity. Everyone believes them without a murmur of a doubt, and we definitely are in that type of society, you know, if... If something works, great. If not, we're ready to uh, try something else that uh, that does. And if that's what somebody says works, you know, we're ready to do to try it. And I like the electricity idea. You know, I do not. I cannot see electricity. I don't understand how it works. But I have a belief that when I flip that switch, the light's going to come on. And and so they're saying to us, you know, if you can believe in something like this, you can't see it, you can't explain it, you don't know how it works, but it works. Why, you know, why can't we use the same type of thinking with God? Um, you know, my thinking got me up to um, um, 230 pounds. And when I was desperate and sick and tired of being sick and tired, I was willing to do whatever I needed to do. And I wanted what those recovered people had. I wanted that twinkle in the eye and the smiles and the peace and the serenity. And I thought, you know, my old ideas haven't worked. Am I willing to try something different? And with that, I will pass. Thank you, Monica. Would anyone else like to share on what was read, please? Penny C. Leah. Penny C. and then Leah, please go ahead. Sheila. Good morning. Penny C. from Massachusetts, a recovered compulsive overeater. This paragraph and all that we've been talking about just reminds me so much of the spiritual experience and the appendices in the big book where it says um, there is a principle a bar against all information, which is proof against all argument, which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. And just before that, uh, we talk. he talks about willingness, honesty, open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery. And, and you know, I can't convince anybody of the existence of anything if they are completely closed-minded. 
I, I was in college. I took a whole semester's course on the proofs, proofs of the existence of God, and there was still there were still people in the class after studying it, taking the test, passing, would still say, "But I I know better. I, I there's no such thing, you know." How the recovery is impossible. It tells us over and over again, without adhering to spiritual principles, without believing that there's a power greater than myself, recovery is impossible. I like to say with something I heard and I repeat so often is that this this big book is full of promises, but here's a, another warning. There are so many warnings. We cannot recover. We cannot. It is impossible if we don't accept these spiritual premises and if we are closed-minded and unwilling. Unwilling. If I'm unwilling, I remember one time my little grandson, he was only in first grade and he had become really, really quite quite expert in chess from a, a club he belonged to at school. And he insisted he was going to teach me how to play chess. And finally, I said to him, you know, Brian, I, I don't want to learn. I don't just don't want to know how to play chess. You're never going to be able to teach me until you convince me that I need to know. And it's the same thing here. And so, you know, I just pray that people who have this bar against the spiritual principle, against believing that there's a power greater than myself, himself or herself, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what that conception is, but there must must be the willingness, open mindedness, and and ability to just accept that there is such such a person, place, thing, whatever whatever that person wants it to be. But I am not I am not him or her. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Penny. Leah, go ahead. Thank you so much. It says, nevertheless, the 20th century readily accepts theories of all kinds, provided they are firmly grounded in fact. We have numerous theories, for example, about electricity. Um, You know, and of course, you know, society today has, uh, you know, numerous um, examples of this. I mean, just think about it. You know, they're talking electricity, but think, you know, computers came on the scene uh, iPods, iPhones, iTouch, iPad, the GPS. I mean, just, you know, majority of the population cannot describe, explain, and expouse upon how that works. You know, everybody believes them without a murmur of a doubt. They utilize them because it works. Why this steady acceptance? Why this ready acceptance? simply because it is impossible to explain what we see, feel, direct, and use without a reasonable assumption as a starting point. The majority of people who utilize these gadgets, and you see it all over wherever you go, people are on their phone, texting, using GPS, they can't describe and explain and espouse upon how it works. It just works. So recovered people um, are living proof, a big show-and-tell operation in the same way. You know, we come forward, a whole tapestry of voices, a variety of people from around the globe come forward and say that um, this process of recovery, these steps have transformed our lives. 
you know, that relationship with a power greater than ourselves uh, has transformed our lives, you know. So it doesn't have to be this big intellectual debate. Is your way working? Yes or no? (laughs) Maybe the higher power idea will. I mean, all these creative inventions that I just mentioned came from a willingness to try something different and to see if it works. I mean, that's why Steve Jobs uh, became, you know, uh, so admired. There was a willingness to change one's belief, and that led to be able to do things that once were thought to be impossible. And that same procedure about willing to believe, willingness, um, is the same procedure we use in this program of recovery. If you're willing to try something different, maybe it will work. All That's all the big book is saying here. All that's saying to the agnostic is, try it. It can't hurt. <laughs> Give it a try. It can't hurt. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. I think I heard one other person there, or would someone else like to share? This is Bella, can I share? Uh, yes, so okay, so we can probably fit the two of you in before we close. So, Bella, if you could keep it uh, short, and then we can fit Katie in, okay? Okay, thank you. My name is Bella, and I am a compulsive overeater. Wow, I am thankful to God that I listened to this meeting today because, yes, the electricity example is very nice to me. You know, like I don't have to prove nothing. I, I don't have to learn nothing how it works. I just switch the button and instead of dark, I have the light. Why it happened, I don't know. I just know for a fact. And this is my way of now in the program. I don't have to prove that there is God. I don't have to to explain how it happened. I just know from experience of other people that they, you know, only to hear this group, so many people from all over the world, and if it's working. So, you know, I don't have to ask questions, and I don't have to prove nothing. I just am willing to try to switch on my uh, uh, to switch my my way of thinking my way of behavior and then to prove to myself that yes there is an electricity in my life and by this I will pass thank you very much thank you Bella Katie go ahead am I unmuted yes you are okay I couldn't remember if I Switched it back. Okay, good morning. I'm Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater in uh, Virginia. And I don't mean to be the devil's advocate, but, you know, I turn on the light and the light comes on. I mean, something happens. And I thought that I had surrendered a thousand times to my higher power before I actually got recovery. So, you know, it, it, it seems a little bit like, you know, well, how is this going to work? But um, but the fact is that it does work because I couldn't see the results in my own life, but I could see when I, you know, got around other people who had recovered instead of sitting in rooms where uh, people were doing one thing and then uh, once they lost their weight, they were doing something else. And that's what was such a mystery to me is that, you know, they only used 
this program until they lost their weight. And this is not what this is about. This is a way of life. And now, you know, that I've lost, lost weight, which is all I thought I came in here for, I have a living problem. And I can ask others who are going, um, walking this path with me, you know, what do you do? How do you turn that light on to get past these um, seemingly hopeless situations that I just keep going over and over again? And that's how this uh, works because, you know, we can go anywhere and find a diet. But I need a power greater than myself that's going to teach me how to live. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Katie. I'm just going to jump in here for one second before we close the meeting. You know, I'm Amy. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. You know, often we hear on this line when we describe this disease as a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. And it reminded me of that when we started out the meeting today when it says besides the seeming inability to accept much on faith. It is a seeming inability and it seems hopeless, but the reality of this program and the results and the facts of this program is that it's not seeming. If we keep our minds open and don't close them, if we believe and if we're willing to step forward in just a little bit of willingness and a little bit of an open mind, it's enough to start this program and to recover. If you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, this program is for you and it will work for you. If you believe that you are powerless, if you believe about the description of this disease, if you cannot stop eating and if you've tried and tried and tried and cannot, what seems hopeless could be the foundation, the bottom upon which you are willing to take the steps forward to a brand new life. We're not only dealing with the consequences of the weight, but a peace of mind. I don't know about you all. I had physical torture galore, but what I was wanted to be free of, free of more than anything else was this mental obsession. I didn't want to have to think about food anymore. I didn't want to have to obsess about it, think about it 24-7, live by the numbers on the scale. My life was destroyed by this food physically, mentally, and spiritually. And as long as I was willing to be open, what was seemingly hopeless was no longer so. And it's just a step. It's just a step. That's all we need to take. And with that, I'll pass. I'd like to thank everyone who shared, especially our readers, Kim, Rick, and Katie, thanks for being on deck, Sharon too, Philomena and Lisa. Um, we will now close with a reading from A Vision for You on page 164. Uh, Katie G., if you could go ahead and read that, please, that would be great. I sure can. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize that we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you surely will meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you.